Oh yeah, this morning. I just want to say good morning to all of you and to those of you who are new friends, those of you who are familiar friends, and to our live stream people, wherever you are at in God's big world. It's so great to be with you. And thank you, Brad, for the invitation. You know, um, Brad and Sherry, uh, he was very kind in his remarks, but you know, Brad and Sherry, um, I dearly love them. And when I heard that they were going to be coming to B4, I knew certain things were going to happen. One, that he would appreciate the foundation of this church, the, the people who have come before him. You never want to build a platform uh, based on putting people down, okay? And he knows uh, that Ron and Randy were amazing leaders, and I knew he'd build on that, but I also knew you bring who you are to whatever you do. So Brad was going to bring something unique, too, to this equation, and I can see the results of that already here in that Brad is somebody who develops young leaders and empowers young leaders and empowers men and women in ministry, whatever their callings are, and so I knew that you're going to see a release of new leadership and young leaders emerging and, um, and church planting that's going to happen and expand on the efforts and the foundation that were built before him. So I just want to say thank you to Brad. And would you join me in doing that? Yeah. That's awesome, Brad. Thank you. Well, it's especially fun to be with you today because COVID sent us all home. And then when it decided to let us out to play, it was still really limited. And we didn't really get to be in other churches in person. There wasn't a lot of travel around because we were barely in person with our own church, right? And so it's a special treat today because it's so wonderful to experience God in another location with another community, just like we're talking about, eight people in a specific place. And so today, my experience, I loved the worship time, didn't you? Wasn't that just a terrific, yeah. You know, the presence of God. It wasn't just about the right notes and the right voices hitting the right notes. It was about the presence of God in this team that was before us. And how they, we, I watched them prepare and alter and adjust, even from Thursday. It was just a beautiful time. So I appreciate that. But I like to compare COVID to a triple loop roller coaster that never ends. You know, it doesn't stop and let people off. You just stay on the coaster. We all know what happens over time, right? If you're stuck on that, it can be difficult. And I think that this roller coaster that we've been on has given us all a lot of opportunities to consider what I'm going to talk about today out of God's word. And so we want to launch off. And to do that, you know, roller coasters kind of require their own restraint systems. They either have the bars or the straps or both. So I encourage you, get ready for the ride this morning. Let's see what God's going to say to us. But as Brad mentioned, he and I'm, I'm aunt to he and Sherry. Okay, and I've got to tell you, I met him as a young kid, but I never thought of myself as aunt. So I, I, I thought of it as friend. So how crazy is that? But Brad and I both married into this family, the Roth family. I should warn you, though, that I call myself an outlaw, and Sherry's dad and I, we called each other the outlaws in the family. Well, why did we do that? Because my story was a little more colorful. The, the Roth family is filled with these amazing stories of faith, including my husband and my husband's parents and, and many other of the extended family. And so when I would go, I'd always feel a little bit like I was the, you know, a flashing neon light, uh, you know, different, different, um, but not because they didn't accept us. I, I really relate to the Corinthian church. 
That's where I'm going with that. You see, because my story was a little more messy. And I think sometimes the Corinthians get a little bit of a bad rap about that. But they were new Christians. They, they got saved in the middle of their story, which had a lot of elements in the background of it. And here they are struggling to find their way forward to become a loving community that's shaped by the life and person of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Brad reminded us that last week that in First and Second Corinthians, we're looking at people in a specific place who are trying to live out their faith in community. And the two questions we're asking every week in this series are, how am I personally being shaped by Jesus? And secondly, how am I being shaped, how am I shaping others in the public domain to embody or experience the kingdom of God? And I like Tim Keller's word for that, the flourishing of God. It's uh, God's world remade by him. That flourishing, we want that in the public domain and in our private domain. But before we take a look at Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, the first 11 verses, I want to tell you a story about my most memorable encounter with these verses. This story will always be associated in my mind. So when I was asked or assigned these verses, I just had to laugh at God's sense of humor because this was the first thing that came to mind. How many of you have ever had somebody take a verse or verses and use them to justify what they're about to do to you? Yeah, it sounds like through the laughter that some of you can relate to that. Well, that's what happened to Jared and I. I call that being verse whipped, okay? Not horse whipped, verse whipped. So Jared and I were 25 years old. We were in the middle of planting our first church. We were 18 months into it, and um, it was an adventure. Now, some of you are thinking, 25, you were just babies. What were you doing planting a church? Well, we could ask that too. I can hear some of you thinking that, but... If I mentioned that we were church planters, that told you several facts about us. One, that we didn't have a lot of money. You see, when you went out to church plant at that time, you went with your dime being the first dime, what God had given you. You did not go out with a, an allowance from the denomination. You went out with the prayers and blessing of the denomination, you know, which was wonderful. We were fine with that. But it just meant that we felt like it, we needed to do some things to earn money for a down payment on a, a, our first home. So we tried our hand at buying this little sixplex on a land sales contract with no money down. You get in the picture here, right? But um, it was our hope that this would be the beginning of earning enough money for a down payment on a home. So when in the course of looking over the land sales contract and this couple, we realized that they owed us $800. It was, it was pretty clear, but we just hadn't looked at it closely. So we thought, no problem, we'll just bring this up to them, right? And, and they were older Christians, which at our age meant they were about 40. And we owned, they owned multiple properties in our town. They just made a mistake, we thought. I mean, after all, they're the savvy people. We'll just take the paperwork, we'll show them the amount owed, and they'll pay us, we thought. We made an appointment, we drove to their home with our file to meet them. File in hand, we got out of our car. Our hearts, I will admit, our hearts were beating faster. We'd never done anything like that. I mean, how much experience do you have at 25? And we had a strong desire to get the thing over with as well. So we exchanged greetings with them. And then we pulled out our paperwork and we began to show them what they owed. Well, we hadn't got but a few sentences out when they stopped us midstream and they said, We know that we owe you $800. 
And we know that you could take us to court to pay, get it paid, and they would rule for you. But we also know that you're, in Christian, you're Christians in town planting a church, and that the Bible says that Christians should not sue other Christians or take them to court. So we're going to pay you. We're not going to pay you, and we don't think that you will sue us. Well, let's just say that we were stunned. In our idealistic 25-year-old minds, we hadn't envisioned that happening. We definitely felt verse whipped. We were stunned into silence, so we took our file with us and we began to leave their house, walking by their Mercedes as we were going to our car. And he happened to uh, yell out, hey, would you like to buy my car? Those were his last words to us. So more of this story later in our talk. So what did Paul really say in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 11, that our contract holders might have missed? Let's read it together. He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial Trivial as in the smallest, the very least cases. Do you not know that we'll judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if we have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. Amen, Lord. But... I also want to say thank you, Brad, for giving me this passage. This is what any first-time speaker to a church, I'm saying I've spoke many times but not here before, so let's just start with a bang, okay? Well, let's look at this. The first thing I want to comment on is that we bring our whole story with us when we say yes to Jesus. You see, God doesn't erase our story. He redeems our story, and there's a difference in that, right? He doesn't erase it. He redeems it. When I think of that, I think of my dad who got saved at 63 after many years of praying, sharing, and loving him. And at 63, he got saved, and he died 18 months later, age 64. So he got 18 months to let Jesus shape his life. And you know what? 18 months isn't very much time. But I've found that believers expect adults who get saved to exponentially, uh, you know, warp speed to a full-shaped character of Christ. No, it's not that way. We bring our whole story, and then God gradually works on things because he's so much nicer than we are. He's willing to work with us through a process. 
Well, that's the truth for the Corinthians. They were no different than all of us. They were part of a culture. The Greek culture loved litigation. They loved the contest of it. They loved debating. They loved oratory. And it it made court almost a form of entertainment. Like, let's go to court and have some fun. Now, the Corinthians brought this with them into their faith story. So when they're going to court for disputes and and small claims types of things, they're taking a familiar and habitual approach. They're just living out the story they've known more of their life than knowing Jesus, right? These were civil disputes, not criminal disputes. These were the kind of issues that we would have decided in a small claims or a a civil court. So when we think about that, like our own justice system, the Romans discriminated against the poor and the marginalized. That means that favors and power switching and bribes were hindrances for the dream and the hope that most people went to court with, which was justice, right? Justice for all. But that wasn't the case. This is the system that these Corinthian Christians were bringing their minor disputes to, and their approach to resolving their differences, Paul says, was undermining their love for one another, but furthermore, their testimony, their gospel witness to the larger community in Corinth there. And he wants them to live out of their new identity in Christ in their relationships. So what does that look like? Let's talk about that for a minute because Paul was pretty clear here with that. First of all, perspective. Paul puts their disagreements and disputes in, with one another in perspective for them. It's the first thing we can do when we encounter one of these in our lives. Have you ever noticed, he right-sizes them, by the way. He calls them trivial. And that word literally means the smallest or the least. And then he compares them to the decisions that they're going to make in eternity. Okay, he says, one day you're going to be judging the world and you're even going to judge angels. What's he referring to? He's referring to eternity when Jesus comes back and establishes a new heaven and a new earth and a new world order. And so he's giving them this huge eternal perspective and putting their little tiny dispute in the middle of it. This is called right-sizing it, right? So what's he saying? He's saying don't sweat the small stuff. Don't treat these disputes like they're a big deal because they aren't, friends. Mm, That's an interesting thing to have happen first when we have a disagreement or dispute with someone. So have you ever noticed how easy it is, though, for a disagreement or dispute to get blown out of proportion? It all starts here, and then it moves to here, and pretty soon it's here, horizontal, right, with the people. And during this pandemic, there's been a pandemic of that, okay? You could say that we are all living like we've been dipped in gasoline. One spark, and we ignite a firestorm, a fire of emotion that goes far beyond the issue that this whole thing started with. Dare I mention what some of those sparks are during this pandemic? It might be mask mandates like the one we just received or vaccination mandates from your employer like some are in the process of receiving. It might be those who refuse vaccination. It might be the judgment we make of those who have received a vaccination. It might be a judgment of our employers who are requiring uh, some to come back to physical space to do their work rather than from home. And at the center of all these disagreements are the beliefs about the importance of personal rights, collective good, who to trust, and who to believe. 
And what do you do to gain perspective when you've just had a meltdown or you've evoked a meltdown in someone else? Well, we can do what Paul did and bring that into a larger context, expand our view. Now, actually, my mom taught me to do this in raising my own kids because she said, Anne, the way you decide which behaviors to pay attention to in your kids is you ask yourself this question, what will this behavior look like in 10 years? What was she doing? She was doing what Paul did. Paul took the eternal, right? That's the longest view you could have. That's the forever view. But my mom was saying, look, 10 years out, what will this look like? That will help you prioritize. This one you need to pay attention to. This one, not so much. So like Paul, the long view, in this case eternity, helps us see the present in perspective. Now, after Paul gives them this eternal perspective about their approach to their own disputes, he addresses the big issue, the big idea for today. It's where do people of faith, where do we land on individual rights versus loving God, loving people? Paul is helping people who are newer to faith understand this priority. Where do individual rights land in a community of faith where our primary charge is loving God and loving people? And this whole passage can be summarized in two two-letter words, we and me. And Paul is helping them to understand what the priority is as a Jesus follower in those two words. And the whole passage promotes and encourages and emphasizes we before me. This is a priority that embodies the kingdom of God, the flourishing of God's people. It's the recipe, Paul says, for a loving community of believers that are able to testify of God's goodness and grace to the world around us. And unrestrained individualism will not do that. Me before we will not result in a loving community that embodies this kingdom of God, this flourishing reign of God in our lives. Author and pastor Tim Keller said it really well. He said, real freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right restrictions. This is what Paul was helping the Corinthians do in their situation. So Paul then goes on to give them a whole list of behaviors that don't embody or reflect or contain the kingdom of God. And it's quite a list, isn't it? I'm gonna repeat it, but it's on purpose. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, those who engage in sex with the same gender, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanders, which by the way, let's just make that clear that slanders, we tend to think of something like somebody going on and telling lies online, but this is talking about gossip, friends. At its basic root, it's talking about when we talk about others in a negative way to someone else and they're not in the room. Swindlers, Okay, and swindlers, scholars believe that this wasn't just about con artists or people running scams, but included those ruthless business practices that were not illegal but ripped people off. Now, before I move on to Paul's primary statement about this list, I want to just mention some of the emotion that can carry us away when we experience one of these things. So I had a text scam happen to me while I was on vacation last month, and somebody pretended to be Pastor Ann, sent it as though it was a text from me, it was all done by text, to various members of our church. 
and I couldn't really trace what list they'd been able to access because it wasn't my Facebook friends. It was something else. We still haven't figured that out. But here's what they said. Hey, this is Pastor Ann. I'm in a prayer session, but I need your help with something. I need you to be discreet about it. So if you'll text me, I'll get back to you after I'm out of this you know, prayer session. And then they would send a second text if the person responded. And it would say, um, I need your help uh, to help some people. Would you purchase three $100 Amazon gift cards? Yeah. Okay. Now, I was hoping that everybody understood um, what was going on there. That was not the language I would have used or an approach I would have taken, but I was just hoping they were. And I had to drive 20 miles out from the wilderness back into the nearest town so that I could get coverage to then send back a post on Facebook. Do not pay any attention to this. But the interesting thing is the person who sent it, uh, the first person to let me know this had happened, happens to be the guy, a guy who's head of IT security for a very large corporation in town. So he said, let me work on this for you. <laughs> and I did. But, but you can kind of, as I share that fact, you can see the emotion that can build in us when we have a dispute, right? When somebody's scamming us or doing something to us. And I mean, Paul's talking about that. Paul's talking about the we before me, even though I'm feeling like I'd like to wring somebody's neck. So the big thing about this list is why is this here? Why is this here? Well, notice Paul's little sentence at the end of this list, because it's critical, friends. He said, and that is what some of you were. That whole list of things, somewhere on that, your name was in there. I like one translation says it this way, and such were some of you. You see, when I look at that list, many leaders have made this an entrance exam for the kingdom of heaven, like some litmus test. Line them up and ask them, have you done this? Are you this? Are you this? You're not going to go to heaven. That is not at all what Paul is getting at here. And this little sentence at the end of it points this out. You see, this isn't an entrance exam for heaven. This is a list of who Jesus came to save. It's who he came for. And it's a list of our old identities before we knew him. And I see my dad in this list. And I see myself in this list. And Paul wanted that, that identification. And such were some of you. It wasn't a finger-pointing session unless you're talking about the finger pointing back at us. So that's important for us to know because Jesus is the one who ran after my dad for 63 years. And friends, if you haven't made that choice for Jesus, if you're still trying to figure out what the gospel's claims are all about and who Jesus really is, I just want to tell you that God will not give up on you. He loves you right where you're at, right in your story today. If you had all of these on this list, he would still be for you. He would still love you. He'd still be running you down, chasing you. He is the hound of heaven. And you need to know that today. Yeah. So... Let's look a little closer at this list and what do all these behaviors have in common? All of them put the individual over the community. He's talking to a people in a place and he's re-socializing them as the new creations that they are in Christ, we're called that in scripture, where sex, money, and power, instead of being used for self, will be used in life-giving ways. Life-giving ways, not the kill, still, destroy of the enemy, but instead the abundant life ways. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it to the full might have it abundantly. He said, all of these things, sex, money, and power are going to be used to do that now. 
This is the new life. This is what is in front of you. So this was pretty amazing for them. He's prioritizing the community good over their individual rights. He is rearranging their priorities from the me before we to the we before me. And instead of litigating in the Roman public court system, he encourages them to go to another Christian to settle the dispute, or better yet, he says, let yourself be wronged or cheated. That's radical, friends, to let yourself be treated. I mean, ours was a measly $800 relative to people who have lost thousands of dollars from scammers. Thousands, their life savings. Somebody just tried to do that with my mom. She lives with us. She's 91 years old. Through a, a, incited her account at her credit union. I mean, she had to call them. This is the thing that can just undo somebody. So he encourages them to, to be wronged or be cheated. We before me. Loving community always takes priority over our individual rights. So doing the right thing for our community may require that you and I give up our individual rights or preferences, whether it has to do with money or sex or power or anything associated with those things. And who does this sound like? It sounds like Jesus to me. It sounds like Jesus to me. You see, Jesus is always the right answer, by the way, in church. You can always be right with that one. But Jesus did what was best for us, no matter what it cost him. He healed on the Sabbath and incurred the wrath of the religious leaders because of it. He began his last supper with his closest friends by taking off his outer garment, tucking a towel into his waistband, and then taking a basin and washing their feet. This was not protocol in the presence of a rabbi. It was the opposite. They should have been washing his feet. No, we before me. That was the Jesus way. Not only that, it was Jesus that showed up at a well, had a conversation with a woman alone, a long conversation, and, and in, in the middle of that, he broke all kinds of social norms. He wasn't afraid to do that. And it was Jesus that hung out with messy people that others labeled as gluttons, as drunkards, as tax collectors, as sinners. And he was criticized for it and complained about all along the way. And that, friends, was just his prelude. He was just getting started. More to come. Listen to Paul describes Jesus' mindset in relationships Philippians, Paul writes this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, did you catch that? Something, it's not something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very form and nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And friends, Jesus is the universal greatest example in all of the universe of we before me. And Paul reminds us that we can do that too. That's a part of being shaped by him. And here's what he's encouraging. He said, remember who you are and live it. It's about us remembering the identity we have in Christ. He says, live out your new identity. We before me, not me before we. And here's three things that are true for you in your new creation. 
you Corinthians. First of all, you were washed. This particular word is only used here and uh, here and one other place in Scripture. And that's when Luke is describing Paul's speech in front of a whole bunch of people that want to tear him from limb to limb. And he's recounting the words he heard from the Lord when he was converted. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's what he said. We were washed, friends. And when we've said yes to Jesus, we've been forgiven, past, present, and future. And baptism is merely our public expression of what's already happened inside. We've become the new person, but when I get baptized and go under that water, and this is what we're doing this morning at Evergreen Good Christian Center is baptizing a bunch of students. When you go under that water, it's, re- it's symbolic of what's already occurred. You are washed. It reaffirms that for you. And then he says, you were sanctified. Okay, God is our judge, has declared us righteous because of and has made us holy. You were made right with God. It means to be set apart as God's people for his purposes. It means we belong, friends. Isn't that one of the four B's here at before? We belong to God's family. You fit. Don't ever let somebody convince you otherwise, okay, including the enemy. We sang, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, this morning. Merciful and mighty. Amazing words. But do you see yourself standing in him? See, Jesus has declared you holy. You are God's holy people. Not because we've got it all right. We've still got a whole bunch of messes like the Corinthians. But because we're in Christ. And when I begin to believe that I am seen that way by God, that sets me free to live an incredible life. And that's what he wants for them. You are sanctified. We belong, you belong, you are here for a purpose and on purpose. And then lastly, he says, you were justified. God as our judge has declared us righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. But our, this isn't just about our, our slate is wiped clean. It's actually that our record and our regret have been expunged. That's right, expunged is bigger than just erasing the blackboard. It's throwing the blackboard away. And that's what God has done for us. We were justified just as if we'd never sinned. So when we remember who we are in Christ, when we remember that we are washed, that we are sanctified, that we are justified, it's in those moments that we remember specifically what he's done for us, that we can respond to disputes differently. Jesus came to set us free for a we-before-me life. So instead of retaliation, Instead of trying to get back at this couple, we can offer forgiveness. Instead of demanding our rights, we can relinquish them for the good of the community, for the flourishing of the community in God's kingdom. And instead of of, um, trying to be free of all restrictions, we can find the right restrictions for the sake of the community and the gospel testimony to those who are watching. Because we, friends, are a we-before-me people. So the rest of the story about what happened with our wonderful young couple that was with us. So what happened to these two 25-year-olds that were verse-whipped with this scripture? You see, we left our house um, with our contract holder and walked to the car, and our minds were pretty much swirling, and we were pretty mad, and we got in the car, and we started driving away. And the first thing we talked about was his offer to us to buy his car and what we thought of that. I don't need to repeat that conversation, though, for you. 
But the second part was about, I mean, we actually talked about small claims court. How would that play out if we did take that route? Yes, you know, I'm not proud to say it, but we went there. But our idealism was stripped away and we knew the best thing to do, the kingdom focused, the flourishing life of God focused approach for our church plant, for our faith story in the community was to forgive them the $800. So when we got back to our house, we called them and we forgave them the $800. And we kept the conversation very simple. We were mad and we were disappointed. So I can't say they didn't know that, but we were still mad and disappointed. But we acted better than we felt. And the cool thing about acting better than you feel is when you're acting the way Jesus is asking you to be, when you become who you, the new creation you really are, that that's what's authentic. That's what's genuine. And God will bring your emotions along with that. And that's what happened. Oh, I'd like to say that at the end of the day, we were still happy and fra-la-la about it. No, that really wasn't it. Now, we didn't talk to others about it, but Jared and I were talking about it for probably a couple weeks, periodically throughout different days. So it took us a little while, but we eventually, our emotions came in line with the will of God, which was his path of grace and forgiveness. And we experienced trust and peace. And it was a wonderful outcome. So fast forward to 2021 and this pandemic that all of us are living in. And we have a huge case of pivot fatigue in our culture. There's healthcare workers and educators and first responders and medical care people and therapists. And you know what? All who are in the caring professions, which includes pastors, can feel kind of weary in their souls and bodies, just like what Brad described. I mean, when you're getting these opposite uh, emails, you know, for and against, and it's happening just, you know, day after day, week after week about all different issues, that can be really different for us. So when we're thinking about now, meanwhile, the debates continue, the critics are plentiful, the online rant, are, there's a steady stream of them. And sometimes those rants move to in-person and that can be really hard. But friends, we have an opportunity in front of us. I don't know how much longer this is gonna last, but it's not over tomorrow and we can pray for that. But while we do, we have an opportunity to be who we really are, living out our true identity to a world that is weary, to a world that is filled with emotional meltdowns, to a world that is filled with firestorms of emotions, to a world that's filled with division and polarity over all kinds of things and actually overreacting to even minor things because of it. And that, in that world, we can choose we can willingly bear restrictions for the good of others. We can ask God to show us what are the right restrictions to place on myself for the good of the whole. We can put we before me. And I wanna invite you to walk that path with me today. We're going to pray, but I wanna ask you three questions. It's where are you in the we before me journey right now in your story? Secondly, where do you need to expand or enlarge your perspective? on your situation or the issue that's in the front of your mind. And last but not least, where are your identity gaps? Where have you forgotten who you are? Was there any part of what I shared where you said, I need to remember that and this is where I need to remember that? Would you pray with me? 
Jesus, we just ask that this week your Holy Spirit would remind us about your priority, that you stepped down to make others great, that being us, Lord. You stepped down and extended forgiveness to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be those people that put we before me. Would you help us to recognize when we're not doing that? And Lord, I just pray for anyone here who's forgotten their real identity in you and ask, Lord, that this week we would live with just that awareness that we are accepted, that we are sanctified, that we are justified, that we've been washed, Lord, and that would make a difference in our relationships every day. And Lord, we ask for your work against this virus, to destroy it in Jesus' name. We continue, Lord, to come to you to ask that this pandemic worldwide, not just a U.S. thing, Lord, worldwide, that you would interfere with it, that you would stop it in its tracks, Lord. We entrust the timing to you, but we know that that's your will, that you would stop it because it is the enemy's work to still kill and destroy, whether it be physical death or whether it be spiritual death. So, Lord, we ask for that. And for all of us, Lord, would you help us just to live out your charge to love you and love people this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anne. Such a blessing having you here. The only problem is she's just too close, so don't go to her church. Stay here. (laughs) She's only 15 minutes away. You know, I, I shared the last service when I was listening to Anne. I was so convicted because last, this last week I was uh, hiking in the Grand Tetons with some leaders from World Vision and then also some other pastors from around the country. And we were hiking at one point and my friend Michael was telling me the story of a guy that worked at a church and he had lost a child. And within a year, he lost his wife and was just struggling. And then the church um, let him go because he was underperforming. And I just said, I go, man, I hope he sued their pants off. (laughs) And he goes, no, Brad, he actually acted godly (laughs) and walked with integrity. Convicted, okay, right here. Isn't it interesting? But such a good word and so challenging to walk with grace and put we before me. Would you guys stand with me this morning? I'm going to offer the benediction right now. And so if you're willing, maybe hold out your hand to receive this. And I offer this to you. May we be men and women who follow the example of Jesus, who laid his life down for ours. And may we be the kind of church who always puts the we before the me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Next Sunday, I know Tiffany mentioned it. We're doing something totally different. You don't want to miss out. It's going to be a great Sunday next week. So be sure to be here. Bring a friend and uh, we will see you then. See you guys later.